0: And that's that's really it you know defining success i think a lot of people start stuff and they don't even know what their target is yeah. you know like yeah. i want to be i want to make it well what is making it you know that could be defined as a lot of stuff to a lot of different people so i think it's kind of like you said kind of identify the target what is the target where do i want to be mm-hmm. and then kind of retrospectively create that like say yeah. how, what are the steps i'm gonna have to take to get there? <laughs> what is going on guys dr jared nelson in this house the podcast the better man where you can never be perfect but you can always be better today we have a very special guest with us today an old friend back in town from tennessee yes sir josh nichols what's up man dude nothing much just glad to be here over the holiday season you know yeah we got a lot of stuff to talk about man big uh, music guy yeah, something like that. Yeah, you know, doing music out there, and we got a lot of stuff to cover, um, and we're going to get all into it, man. So i start everybody with this. Okay. You're in the gym, you're chilling, and somebody sees you, uh, they haven't seen you in a while, they're like, hey, I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you from? Go ahead and start it off, man.
1: They probably hadn't seen me in a while because I hadn't been in the gym in a hot minute. <laughs> <That's> but <true. laughs> Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, I tell people all the time. I tell stories. That's, that's what my job is. That's what I feel like I was put on this earth to do, and so... um whether it's through song or through video, I just, I love telling stories and bringing those things to life. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, my elevator pitch to anybody would just be, you know, the stories you watch or you hear in songs, I create those. So
0: mm-hmm. awesome stuff, man. So you're a music guy up in Nashville now. Yeah. Uh, you know, we both grew up here locally in the area. People listen to this all over from Gasden. Uh, we're both from Gasden. You're in Nashville now. So, talk about your music journey. Kind of what got you into that. I know in high school too, you sung a lot and a lot of stuff like that. So, kind of start at the bottom. Uh, Where did music start for you?
1: So, I mean, I've been singing as long as I can remember. Uh, There's, you know, home videotapes of me at my dad's winter camps at like four years old singing. I can go the distance in Hercules. Like that was just my my jam, apparently. Uh, And then growing up, getting out of elementary school, moving more into middle school. I remember going to um, the church I was a member at and being in that youth group and a worship leader got up and, uh, the song, he, he played a very animated song. I think if you remember the, uh, it was it Chris Rice that had the, I was singing the other day. What if cartoons got saved? Yeah. They sang that. And I, at 12 years old, I thought to myself, I can't sit through services where these are the songs that we sing. So yeah. I learned how to play guitar and I went to my youth pastor. I was like, Hey man, I know how to play like four chords uh i would love to step up to the plate if you need any help with worship leading stuff and so from 6th grade on um you know my youth pastor at the time basically taught me how to lead worship he wouldn't let me pick the sets for the first few years he would pick them and make sure they were you know lining up with what he was preaching on and then he would explain to me how to how to communicate with people from stage how to uh lead people and not just songs. Right. And so I always tell people like my youth pastor was my first worship leader mentor and um so went from there and then started a band in 2012 did the touring thing for 8 years and then in 2020 obviously the world shut down and uh found myself sitting in my living room writing songs for other people and not having to be in the van traveling all over the country uh and I liked it. I was like, oh man, this is like, you know, at that time I'm 27. So I feel like 25 was the year where I was starting to think, hmm, this is getting pretty exhausting going all over the place all the time. And mm-hmm. so 2020 happens. We're not doing shows and I'm not mad about it. And so uh really, we didn't stop altogether, but we took on a lot less shows from that point on. And 2022 or 2023, sorry, was the first year that I just said no to the majority of all bookings that we would have had lined up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember, you know, this year was the first year we didn't do like a summer camp circuit and some people might feel a fear of missing out the FOMO thing. But I remember just looking at my calendar and seeing where I would have been that week and then not being there that week and thinking, thank God.
0: You know, that, that's something I want to dive into a little bit. We all, I think people now, if you're not doing something, people are kind of anxious. Like, I always have to be grinding. I always have to be doing the next thing. So kind of talk about that. You said you looked at your calendar kind of in relief, like, thank goodness I'm not doing that. And even though you're passionate about that, there's a time to go and there's a time to rest. So kind of talk about what went through uh, your mind there. Well, so, I mean, at the beginning of this year, I was in
1: Matthew 11 and I just remember reading that passage that says, you know, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. My yoke's easy. My burden is light. And I was thinking, man, I feel exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. At that point, I didn't really have a sustainable income coming in. And I'm like, Lord, something's got to give because you say that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And what I'm feeling is not easy and it's not light. So I'm just going to open up my hands, like let go of all the things I've been holding on to for so long that have just become like habit for me to do every year. And I'm just going to wait for you to show me what is meant for me this in this season of life. Mm -hmm. So those camps and like the music stuff really was one of the things I let go of first. And uh, I mean, it turned out to be the most spiritually healing season of life for me because I wasn't on stage. I wasn't having to perform. I found myself most times in the past two or three years leading worship from a place of cynicism almost, of thinking like, Mm -hmm. man, what are we doing here? Like, I don't know any of the people that are in this room. I have no idea what situations I'm singing into right now. And I really don't have, apart from just a generalized view of the gospel, I don't have a place to lead from that will be as helpful as it could be in this room if I had a relationship with these people. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, this year not doing that, I found myself not being on stage and being able to, to heal and serve at my church behind the scenes and to help out, you know, other friends in ministry where they needed help. And it wasn't me on stage and it was a big sigh of relief, but um, then financially has been the best season of my life since I graduated high school. Like it's been Mm -hmm. as simple as saying, all right, Lord, I'm going to let go. And it's not always the financial, like the, you know, prosperity gospel thing, Mm -hmm. but I do think the Lord wants to take care of us and he wants our obedience more than anything. And like for us to trust him. And so just watching him provide through me saying, I'm going to let go and say no to a lot of things that would pay me and mm-hmm. trust that you're not necessarily going to pay me but you're going to take care of me because you've called me into something different in the season and he did and it's been it's been amazing man like just
0: yeah, the calling is huge uh i see a lot of i've said multiple times on the podcast i made a lot of miserable physicians yeah uh, a lot of miserable yeah. nurse practitioners even uh they're that's not their calling you yeah. know they might do, be decent at it and all that and i think that's with anything if yeah. you aren't if God hasn't caused you to do that, I feel like you're going to know it's going to be a chore. Like you said, the singing and stuff, you can do it, but it became more of a chore than a blessing. Mm -hmm. You're like, I I don't feel this is right. Yeah. Um,
1: And I think too, like I even came to the place where I was like, you know, being in in church ministry for as many years as I was. And then doing the worship leader thing, you hear that term calling thrown around a lot of like, I'm called to be a worship pastor. I'm called to do this. And I would always challenge people with, okay, well, If you had a stroke tomorrow and you couldn't play the guitar or play piano or sing, but you're called to be a worship pastor, does that mean your calling is void? Like, how do you justify that? Because what I believe is I've been called to make disciples and to teach them what Jesus taught us Mm -hmm. and whatever avenue is available to me and is accessible to me at that time. And granted, there's things I'm passionate about. that The Lord allows me to serve that purpose in right now. But if there was ever a time where I wasn't able to do music, I wasn't able to do video, it wouldn't be my job to sit in misery and just be like, man, I'm, like, my calling is in vain. I don't Like have anything. what if? Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, now what, what can I do? What can I do where I'm at right now to make disciples and teach people about the love that Jesus has for them, um, whether it's being a school janitor, whether it's being a musician, a doctor, like whatever it is, there's never a time where there's not an opportunity for me to be that. And so it's just always being aware of what season am I in? What's what makes the most sense for me right now to be able to get people close and in community and to teach them about Jesus and what that looks like.
0: Yeah. Seasons are huge, man. And I think identifying those, you know, and accepting it, like you said, just letting go and saying, this is where I'm at, Mm -hmm. you know, resisting all that. You're going to definitely be miserable and all that. It's it's a real thing. And I think a lot of people do many seasons in my life uh to where um I might not have liked where I was at or, mm-hmm. but I look back on that and I'm like man you know thank goodness I was there and thank goodness I I grew from that and I learned from it and I'm a better man because of it
1: yeah man I had a mentor tell me one time because he was they were trying to move out of this um neighborhood that they'd been in for so long they had this new house that they wanted to buy they were going to pastor a new church and for whatever reason this house would not sell and they had You know, open house after open house. They had offer after offer. He was getting frustrated. He's got three kids and a wife, and they're trying to move to this new city that they're pastoring. And he told me months later, as this house is still not sold, he said, I finally got to the place where I stopped asking for God to help me get through this. And I started asking him to show me himself in this. What's my reason for being here? What is the Mm -hmm. reason that you have this situation happening? And what ended up happening was, he realized that he had not been a neighbor to the people in his neighborhood. He, they just kind of lived in isolation of, to themselves. Sure. He started building relationships with the people in that neighborhood as they're trying to sell this house and hearing story after story about people who didn't know Jesus or who had a bad you know response to Jesus and the gospel because of what a church did to them. Uh, and he started getting to watch Jesus heal those wounds and bring people to himself and in the household. Yeah. You know, and it, so it's just like, Knowing that that God is sovereign in all things, and that he's working all things together for good, it's not necessarily just our good on a personal level or individual level, but it's for good as a whole and so if it's a season of bad, what well, seems to be bad, we can just say, "Well, okay, Lord, how does this work together for good? Mm-hmm. show me yourself in this rather than God, get me out of here. It's God, show me why I'm here,
0: yeah, your will be done, yeah, uh, find exactly. out his will because you're there for a reason exactly, right? Right. and so uh. But once you start identifying and it's not the prosperity, like if you come mm-hmm. to God, he's going to fix all these problems. No, he's going to his will is going to be done regardless. Yeah. You know, and so accept that and walk with God and say, hey, God, show me your will. Show exactly me what we're right. doing. You exactly know? right. But that's great stuff, man. So the music journey and all that um, did some gigs and stuff. So when did that kind of stop? He said. Twenty twenty is when when everything slowed down, it was the first time that
1: I had tasted not being on the road in probably seven or eight years. Sure. So we
0: kind of stopped around twenty twenty. So start twenty twenty to present day, what's the journey been yeah. like for you? Uh
1: so moved to Nashville at the end of twenty nineteen, beginning of twenty twenty, and uh obviously the world shut down like we said. And um what you know the thing with Nashville is people say it's a ten year town. There's a lot of networking to be done. If you're wanting to make it in the music industry, everybody's a songwriter, everybody's an artist, everybody's doing something in the music world. And so you really don't stand out, especially being the new kid on the block. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, cool, you moved here, whatever. Everybody's moving here for this music thing. Mm-hmm. But what happened was when COVID hit, everyone was forced to stay at home, be on their phone. You know, I think YouTube and Netflix probably gained billions of dollars in that season. Oh, yeah. Um, and what I decided to do was, so the week before the world shut down, I read this book by Andrew Peterson called Adorning the Dark. And it was it's an artist's book on how he writes songs and the art of writing songs, and how it's a struggle, and how we should be okay in the tension of not necessarily getting to the end of a song when we first just sit down to write it, mm-hmm. but almost treating it like the sculptor who sees the finished product as a chiseling stone away and knowing, okay, he's in there somewhere. Like the, the image is there somewhere. I just have to get it out in the right way. Same thing with songs. So I remember the, when COVID hit, we went on the lockdown. Um, I just prayed on my way back from Orlando as lockdown is about to start Lord, if you would give me just an ounce of your creativity, I would, I would just in this season of life, it'd be the best season ever. And if he'd give me an ounce of his creativity, I would have probably designed something much cooler than just songs, but like he gave me something and I had this idea of, okay, I want to write a concept record around quarantine and I want to give the proceeds to artists who have now lost their job. And they were having to move back to their parents' house or, you know, in North Carolina or wherever they're from, um, because they don't have a touring gig and everything's shut down and there's no shows to be played. And so we raised, you know, I think it was close to a thousand dollars, and that was able to help two artists that had lost their job and had to move back to their parents' house. And the funny thing was, one of them let me know, like, hey man, this what you've sent me has covered more than my bills. Mm-hmm. So I want to give what's left of this that you've given me to another artist friend that is going through the same thing. So it really helped three artists but it was only designated for two. Um so yeah, just that. just a
0: pause right there, yeah. you know. I don't want this video to get flagged. Uh but uh and I'm not going to say too much about specifically <laughs> what it was. Yeah. But 2020 man, you know, the the ramifications of what happened. Uh, you don't think about that a lot. You mm-hmm. don't think about the struggle people had to go through. And yeah, we say essential workers. That was kind of a slap in the face. I think to a lot of people saying yeah. you don't matter, yeah. you know, like I was essential. I was medical, but I I think that label is ridiculous. Everybody's essential. You know, we all have a purpose and all that. Uh, but I think it's good to hear from that side of things of how 2020 really affected you had to move back in and and leave what they were doing, uh, because of something that was not even their fault, you know, it's exactly kind of a crazy right. time. yeah.
1: Well, I mean, even, you know, even now three years later, um, to get people to come to local shows, yeah, everybody got so comfortable in that season of being able to live stream everything that I've even noticed, like my willingness to go see a friend's show in downtown where, when I first moved to town, I was like, I'll be yeah, a heck. Y'all be there. Like, you kidding me? That'd be awesome. Now it's like, uh it it's that much harder to get me to want to leave my house now after mm. the whole COVID thing. Um, and even with churches, like, you know, you've you've seen a slow trickle of membership coming back into churches post COVID, but like sure. Um it's things will never be what they were in twenty twenty. And so I just remember seeing like all this stuff happening virtually and I wrote this concept album. I I committed to writing a song a day and fully producing it out and putting it on Instagram. And I did that for six or seven months. And um it what, what I accomplished in six or seven months because of the creative like the creativity that the Lord gave me in that season, networking wise, I think I did equivalent to two or three years of living in Nashville, like doing the daily grind of Nashville because yeah. everybody was on their phone. So like people are yeah. seeing these videos and they're liking the ideas and they're messaging me, going, Man, we need to do like a Zoom right. That was the big thing was like Zoom and Skype rights. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. the Lord was kind to me in that season. He opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, I I got to meet a lot of heroes and and make music with a lot of people that I grew up like looking up to in the music industry. Um, And yeah, so it just became the transition from wanting to be the guy on stage to Man, now I just want to tell stories and give it away to the guys that want to be on stage Mm -hmm. uh, and that do that and enjoy that. Because for me, I would rather just sit in my basement, make the songs, give them away for the right price, and Mm -hmm. then, you know, do another one. Sure.
0: Well, it's finding where you fit. I I think that theme comes up a ton on this podcast. You know, you tried out different things. You know, you were on the stage, you had that season, you did all that. But now you're like, okay, this fits me better. Yeah. You know, and so... I think that's something for a lot of people. Go and experience a bunch of different things. Even if you think you like something, get out there and try it. Maybe mm-hmm. you like the idea of it, right? Mm-hmm. Versus actually liking doing the thing. Go out there and try it and see if it really works for you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, did we kind of finish 2020 and then 2021, 22? How's life been treating you? Dude, it's been good.
1: Um, 2021, 2022, uh, when the world started opening back up, um, I was working with a publisher at the time for songwriting stuff. And I found myself doing like nine to 10 co-writes a week and uh, came to the place where I was completely burnt out just about on songwriting. And so at the end of 2022, I came to the place where I was like, you know, I think I just want to write with my like by myself right now. Mm -hmm. Or I want it to be something that is meaningful and impactful because you write 10 times a week for years, then... A lot of the stuff you're writing and creating is just regurgitated from something that you said the other day. Sure, And there's not a whole lot of space for you to sit back and listen to what's going on. And so I remember at the end of last year, um, the whole idea of, you know, Solomon telling us that wisdom is speaking less and listening more. I was like, I feel like that translates in songwriting too. Cause in Nashville, Mm -hmm. there's this weird system that we've come up with where it's like, Hey, If you're doing a songwriting session, it's going to be an unspoken rule, but it's going to last three hours. You're expected to have a song at the end of three hours, Mm -hmm. and if you go past three hours and you don't have something, you just call it quits. And I think that's very entitled and arrogant to think that we can create something from nothing in three hours every single time, and it would be something meaningful. Sure. Um, But then also, um, just sitting back and giving ourselves space. To go through what people would assume is writer's block, because they're not writing something all the time. Um, I remember hearing, I think it was John Piper had a book called uh, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, and he said the job of the pastor, of the shepherd, is to listen six days of the week to what's happening in his community, and then on the seventh, respond with God's word specifically to what's happening. Wow. So with songwriting, I'm like, no one's sitting back and listening to what's happening in the world. Like We're, we're too busy saying stuff. So I just thought, man, what if I just sit back and wait until I feel like there's something to be responded to with a song or with a video or whatever it is, um, and then write from that. And I've, I mean, I've had probably my favorite season of songwriting come out of just not forcing myself to sit down and write just for the sake of writing. And I think there's a season for that too, but sure. I did that during COVID, where I was mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to do it. Um, but finding my myself in a place of only speaking from a place of wanting to respond to what's happening around me and to the people that are around me at that time. So a lot of my songs are either to the church or they're to creatives uh, or like they're all just very intentional where it's a very specific person that's being spoken to. And I do that because in my life there are people that are going through things. And as I sit back and listen, I'll hear an opportunity for a response to come out of what they're going through and the song is written for them, but it's also written for everyone like them that's going through a similar situation. And so yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, um, I think music back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, if you look, it was more intentional. I feel time. like it was. And as music, now the beats are cooler and like there's a lot more stuff and all that. I think the music is kind of cooler. But as far as writing, I feel like it was very poetic then. Yeah. That's a big thing that you said. Yeah. Two, like, uh, we'll bring up Taylor Swift. Yeah. Does she... I mean, she goes through seasons where she's on tour, she don't write constantly, yep. right? I mean, once you're on that big of a level, I guess it doesn't matter as much. But uh but yeah, I mean I would I would think that. Like if you're constantly writing, you have to have input, right? Yeah. Uh it's like somebody at a party or whatever and he's just always talking. Like that kinda gets old. You know what big I mean? Big time. You gotta listen a little bit, you know, and I think that's the same thing with songwriting, man. It's it's probably a real deal.
1: Yeah, dude. So it's been it's been super helpful just applying scriptural wisdom to songwriting and creativity in general it's been a really cool thing.
0: So did you have a job out of high school? What what job did you do there? Let's see. I worked Chick-fil-A.
2: Yeah.
0: I worked The Lord's Chicken. The Lord's Chicken. <laughs> I worked
1: um at the Cultural Arts Center in downtown gadsden mm-hmm. And then I started interning at a church in hoax Bluff. And then I moved into the worship pastor role at Cornerstone Church in downtown Gadsden, and I was there we didn't, we weren't even cornerstone yet. Like we were about to launch that church in 2014. And I went to be a part of that and then stayed there from end of 2014 until the very end of 2019, like August or so. Mm-hmm. Um, moved to New Zealand for a month to help with a church plant there. Came back to town. Um, started transitioning all my things to Nashville. Um, visited some church planter friends in Tokyo in December of 2019. And then once I came back in town, the holidays happened. Then I was full fledged in Nashville, um, doing, doing the music thing. And while I was at the church in Gadsden, I did start a video company on the side to try and, you know, offset a little bit of income, Mm -hmm. um, and started Metro media group in 2018, where I was just doing commercials for people and whatever creative, Ideas people had that they wanted to be on video, mm-hmm. I would do it for them, well, then, I'
0: bring that up the history of working to say this. you know you stepped out on a limb, yeah to go to Nashville, yeah, there's a lot of people that do it now. I know a lot of families it like my family, if I were to, like I'm selling all my stuff <laughs> they they go crazy, yeah like, dude. so tell me about the experience in your family, you making that jump. people listening may want to be make that jump, you know, what was yeah. the experience like for you? I feel
1: like I warmed my family up um by telling them first you know several years prior that i was dropping out of college but that was probably the biggest like stab in the chest oh yeah oh man no the baby boomers and that they they, they don't like that man you gotta and i'll tell you you gotta uh, finish college i remember in at gadsden state i remember sitting in my theory class and i'm going i'm going to be a music major and um I remember sitting in the piano, like the piano room practicing and my professor at the time who has since passed away. Uh, I loved him. He was phenomenal, but he was also very direct and blunt. And he said, you know, when it comes time for you to master an instrument, which one are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know, probably like piano. And he laughs and he goes, no, 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 you don't even play piano the right way. And I was like, Oh, guitar. He goes, I've seen you play guitar too. It's, it's way more technical than what you're playing right now. And I was like, voice he goes maybe and that was the day where i was like yeah i'm not i'm not about that like Mm -hmm. i know what i love to do and i'm not going to have a system that tells me that because i don't do it a certain way that's to their quality that i can't like make a living out of that right so i just told my mom i was like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna drop out of college and do this music thing and she you know at the time was like well you can't live at our house not be in college and i was like fair enough." got a rental house, lived here in town, did that whole thing. Uh, but so when I moved to Nashville, um, you know, my, my mom is extremely sentimental and I adore her and, uh, (laughs) she wants all of her children to still be living at home with her all the time because like, you know, that's just a, she's a mom. just a mom. Yeah. Yeah. And so letting her know that I was moving to Nashville, um, that was, my dad was just excited for me because he's got a lot of people that he's known over the years that have moved to Nashville and, whether it was people in his youth group or people that he did like Christian conferences with back in the day, whatever it was. But for mom, it was like losing my baby. Like I'm the middle child. I was always the one that was home, you know, Mm -hmm. like whatever. And so that was hard, but I do think that 2020 being the year that it was, I was able to come back home for most of that summer and just stay with them at their house and spend some time with them. And then, um, you know, being intentional to, I mean, it's only three hours away, really. So it's like sure, making it's intentional bad. time to drive back down and visit with them. That was kind of the selling point. Of, it's not even that far, right? Like you know, it's only three hours. You can come visit me. I'll come visit you, right? Um, but it definitely wasn't easy. But I do think that you know um, that move. I would. I wouldn't be able to do anything that I'm doing now if I had not made that move. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's stressed enough how big of a difference it makes living in a, a city where the thing that you're wanting to do is what everybody does. Right. Cause it can be a daunting thing mm-hmm. moving like being a big fish in a small pond to being a very, very small fish in a massive pond of or massive ocean of talent that's yeah. better than you. Yeah. Um, some people will be intimidated by that and just kind of choose to back off. And then other people see that as a challenge and it's something that's inspiring to be better. And I just, every day I'm in Nashville and meet, the talented people that are there. I'm just like, this is honestly amazing that everybody around me right now in this coffee shop or this brunch spot, wherever I'm at, everybody here loves the same thing that I love enough to work this day job full time and then go and do the craft that they love so much as much as they want to, like as much as they can do it with the time that they've been allotted. And so, sure. um, I just know if I would have stayed in Gadsden, it would not have been the same, um, the same path like i wouldn't have, i wouldn't have been able to accomplish the same things that i've been able to believe the volume of people to yeah. start there and yeah.
0: if you want to make it you got to go where it is exactly for sure. Right. it just kind of makes sense um struggles in the industry so you starting out in music and all that you just said mm-hmm. small fish in a ocean of talent yeah how do you uh how, what are the struggles there
1: as a songwriter you don't make anything like it's people talk about spotify being pennies on the dollar yeah that's for the master and for the artist that has that owns all of the master of the song. They get pennies on the dollar. The songwriter gets pennies on the penny. Like it's like I mean for instance 2021 that whole year of songwriting I was doing 8 to 10 writes a week. I had one major label cut with an artist on Sony record label. My annual income from songwriting was $3. For a, year, for a year? A year. With wow. every project that I was a part of, $3. Um, this year, it's been a little bit better. I'm at $60 for the year, but it's because one of the songs that I co-wrote on made it to Swedish radio. Oh,
2: wow. And
1: Swedish radio pays way better than Spotify and anybody else. Like, radio still pays the best. And so I'd say struggles in the, in- in the industry are knowing that it's – I mean, if you go in any other business and say, I'm going to invest – Thirty thousand dollars into this project. So for an artist, it's an album. Um, you know, I'm gonna invest thirty thousand dollars, and in fifty years, it might break even. No other business would say that's a good decision, but music—that's every decision all the time because it's like I have to get millions of streams to pay a couple of thousand dollars. Right. So if I'm gonna spend thirty grand on this record to have produced the right way and to sound proper. And then if I spend another 10 to 15 on marketing and advertising for it, that's required to get listeners. Um, I'm looking at 30, 40 years of streaming before I even see it hit even Yeah. on this project. And then like, if I'm even still doing music or if I'm even still alive in 30 or 40 years. And so
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: just a whole lot of, um, I mean, it's, it's a faith based thing. People don't all believe in Jesus, but they're, they're believing in something bigger than themselves because you can't be a musician in Nashville And just depend on yourself to get you through because it's like you have to bank on there being some kind of luck or some kind of karma or something that you're holding on to. Because if you don't have hope in that industry, it's like you would, I mean, you're going to quit. You're just not going to do it. And Mm so I would say that's the big thing is the work you put out is undervalued uh, in these, uh, the TikTok record label stuff that's happened. Makes it way harder for um, artists that have been working on their craft and songwriters that have been practicing songwriting and doing it like properly. The TikTok record label stuff makes it really hard to cut through the noise. And Spotify being so accessible to have many millions of songs are being uploaded every day, it's a lot of noise. And so it's like, man. If you're not making things that you're proud of and that you love and that being enough, Mm -hmm. then you're going to lose because you're not going to, you're not going to break through the noise unless you either, you know, get extremely lucky or, um, you just have the right backing behind you with lots of, lots of money to, to do it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's, you just got to love what you do. So
0: saying all that, uh, next point, how do you make it with an oversaturated uh, area, you know, as music, how do you make it? How do you stand out?
1: mm I would say to make it, you would have to redefine what make it means for you because, um, when I first moved to town, I had a different, I had a different ambition for music than I do now. Uh, and I tell buddies that tour all the time now, like I've realized, I don't think I love music as much as you love music because for me to want to get in a van and travel all those days of the year, like. It's Not worth it to you.
0: Got to really love it. I mean, I know people, it's this rigorous, yeah, for the amount of money that you make. Exactly, yeah, it's rigorous. And yeah. I'm just
1: like, any amount of life that you just miss out on back home, like relationships struggle in that. And like, it's just hard to maintain community in that, that yeah. world. I would just say, redefine what the term make it means for you, what your success is. For me, my success has gone from being a touring artist that sells you know, millions of streams and like CDs, whatever it's now write songs that are good enough to get pitched and picked up that pay you enough money to keep a roof over your head and keep your grocery bill paid and all your bills covered if at all possible and maintain your integrity as a songwriter, as an artist. Mm -hmm. So that's my success. That's what I work for now is like like I'm not, I'm not even there yet. So like, you know, 66 bucks in the year is not going to pay for a roof over my head in Nashville. Sure, sure. But that's now my aspiration is if I can get to a place where my songwriting just gets me taken care of, mm-hmm. then that's my success. I don't need to be a household name. I don't need to have millions of Instagram followers. I don't need to be able to sell out arenas. Like if I can just be set from songwriting, I'm content with that.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's really it, you know, defining success. I think a lot of people start stuff and they don't even know what their target is, you know, like I want to be, I want to make it, Well, what is making it, you know, that could be defined as a lot of stuff to a lot of different people. So I think it's kind of like you said, kind of identify the target. What is the target? Where do I want to be? And then kind of retrospectively create that, like say, what are the steps I'm going to have to take to get there? Exactly. Right. And I think that's really the key to doing that. But that's just it, man. Defining success. It's not a million dollars. know no. some, some people it is. Some people want to have all the money and all that or all the fame or whatever else. Uh, some people just want to feel content that they're, that they're making an impact. You know, that's so it. I think that's just it right there, man. Uh, good stuff, man. Uh, going back, would you change anything from your music journey? Would you mm-hmm. have started sooner? Wh- what do you think?
1: I think I would have moved to Nashville sooner. Mm-hmm. Um. I see people that are there now that are 19 and 20 that have been there for 3 years yeah. and I'm like you guys have a, like you have 10 years on me yeah. at this point and so um I I wish I would have done that sooner um and I wish that I would have been more content and comfortable with who I am outside of music sooner because when I took music away for most of the year this past year and just started focusing on the the video side of things Um, I finally got to figure out who I was as not a worship leader, who I was as not a musician, like redefining my status and relationship with people as just Josh and redefining my status as who I am with myself as just Josh. And I'm an introvert. I enjoy telling stories. Um, I prefer to go to bed, you know, at a reasonable time to wake up the next morning, but I never do it. Like Mm -hmm. these, these small things that I've learned about myself of just who I am, um, have been so detrimental to me being more content with where I am or where I'm not, because I'm like, yeah, but like, I know who I am when I was doing all the music stuff and wanting to be this big household name. It was because that's all, I was just a musician. That was just what musicians do. I didn't really have an identity in that. Um, you You know, know, I
0: think a lot of people, late twenties, early thirties, as a man, to me, that's when you kind of figure out yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think 20s is kind of experimental, yep. Uh, but I think that's really common. I think if you would ask a lot of men, kind of when when did you find find yourself and like this is who I am and all that, I think late 20s, early 30s. Excuse me, early 30s, uh, early 30s is around that time. Um, do you think staying at home held you back from finding that?
1: I think, um, I think it's a whole bunch of things that held me back, and I think staying at home just added to the ease of being comfortable mm-hmm. uh i think being comfortable is probably the thing that held me back the most yeah because to echo
0: what logan johnson said you know yeah. he said he went to um seattle you yeah. know, flew all the way from yeah. yasden alabama to seattle uh you have to grow up there I ain't do. no choice yeah. there's nobody to fall back on and all that um so i just kind of want to ask you that to kind of echo on that
1: yeah, I I think I would have probably grown up a whole lot quicker if I would have left the comfort of, you know, the relationships that I have here that I've had for years, uh, the status that I had as in the worship leading community. Um, and I really think too, um, maybe leaving my my position as the worship pastor sooner mm-hmm. would have helped me because I really do feel like um, and i love that church like i'm i'm so proud of the years that i was there sure but i do feel like there there could have been someone better that would have come in and been fully vested in like that rather than trying to figure out how to do the music thing try to figure out how to also lead worship on sundays and, like i i feel like there were there may have been somebody that was like really dead set on i want to be a worship pastor and like shepherd these people so i feel like you know sometimes not going or being in that position for longer than you know you should be is actually preventing both parties from growth. That's huge. Because yeah. they could have, and they may not have gone with anybody at that point. I don't know, but I do know that there was probably somebody in a season of life where they're like, I i want to be there all day, every day, shepherding and pastoring people. And at that point in life, I was like, I want to be on the road singing and touring and like playing shows, all this stuff. Um, which is ultimately why I left. And so it's like, you know, I think just being aware of, like we said at the beginning, the season that you're in, Mm -hmm. uh, and trusting that, like, you know, obviously seeking counsel from the Lord, but like trusting, hey, if I leave here, it's not my job to make sure that they stay afloat. Like, I want to leave them in a better place than I found whatever situation was. But it's also not my job to be sovereign over all things all the time. That's mm-hmm. God's job. So if I feel Him leading me to do something else, I have to also trust that He's leading someone else to come in and do a better job at what I was doing before than I'm like than where I'm at right now. And yeah, that's so,
0: huge. I think as as Christians, young people too, they kind of take that weight. I feel like the weight. uh You're responsible for yourself. Yeah, and that's it. Your yeah. happiness. Now, if you have a family, if you're a man, married man, you have a family and all that, you take care of your family too. That's your responsibility, of course. But, you know, you are not responsible for everybody else's happiness that's and right. their, their control and all that. Um, you got to let that go. Yeah. You got to let that go. And I think that's part of growing up and understanding that uh, it gives you peace. You know, like you said, leave people better than where you found them. Yep. And let it go. Yeah. You know, you did what you did and then and now it's time to let it go. I agree. That's good cool stuff. Uh future plans. So future plans in music. You said you're writing and stuff. What's that going to be like for you?
1: Again, I would love to get to a place where it sustains me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the game of business. And so I feel like there's always going to be a new business plan around the corner of like what I'm going to start. Like this next season is, um, a thing called legacy films, which is basically like, you know, everybody's seen a wedding film. Um, But I had never seen this done before, and I had a buddy that mentioned, like, I want to do this kind of video of my granddad. I was like, there's something there, basically, where you do a documentary of your grandparents explaining the legacy of the family, where they met, you know, how the family grew up. My
0: grandmother did this yeah, uh, before she passed. I think it was, like, in 2014-15. It was an impactful thing. And you have it forever. And Mm so, you know,
1: um, again, I want to be part of things that are meaningful, and we did one of these back in September of last year. Um, and as soon as you press record on that camera, you know, that that's going to be valued and looked back on forever because they have that cl- they have that, that link on YouTube. It's private just for their family. And like, when I go back and look at that link and see that there's hundreds of views on it, I know that the family has gone back to watch that over and over again, Right? because it's, I mean, it's who their grandparent or their parent was, and they could just watch that. And so. I'm kicking that off in the new year. I think ultimately I want to be at a place where music is, is the thing that's like sustaining and I can just have passion projects on the side right now. It's kind of the the opposite where I'm doing all this work in the video world. I'm doing all these production things. Um, and music is the thing that I just get to have on the side. I think as I get older, I would love to do less hands-on stuff and be able to create, uh, a portfolio or a catalog of songs that are good enough and have enough, um, momentum behind them to be able to either sell the catalog or to have a couple of best hit, like, you know, number one songs on the chart that will pay me enough money to be able to just kind of ride that out for a while. Sure. Um, but yeah, more than anything, it's like, you know, um, I just want to be faithful. I want to be aware of what I'm doing in the season I'm doing and how I can use it to disciple people and uh just find myself more content in what the lord's provided me with right now instead of just always looking on to the next thing and you know wanting more not being happy with where i'm at i'm like
2: i'm i'm
0: content Kinda i know like what i need proud but never satisfied yeah
1: and i feel like that's you know as an entrepreneur that's kind of the thing um and even i was talking to a friend of mine who is way further along in the songwriting in the artist world than i am and he was he had a friend that, had written i think he was at like number 11 or 12 uh on his number one like billboard number one songs that he had written for people Mm -hmm. and he asked this guy and just said like do you like when you when that hits number one do you get so excited about that and he goes every time it hits number one i automatically start thinking about how i can write one that's better than that
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which is awesome but also a little bit or a lot of bit sad that you don't even have time to enjoy this huge accomplishment because you're not content. Like you, you just, you feel like you're not going to be able to do enough. You can't write enough number one songs to be content. And so
0: when is enough going to be enough? Yeah. I don't
1: ever want to find myself there. I, I always want to be extremely grateful for where I'm at. Um, and honestly grateful for the fact that I have a brain that can come up with new ideas to generate money or generate business or, you know, I just I remember reading a verse in Psalms where David just thanking the Lord because he's the one that provides space around his feet, like the ground beneath his feet and I'm like it really is the grace of God that I have um you know, the circumference size of space beneath my feet that I do because if it's any tighter, I can't move anywhere. I'm just stuck. That he gives me just enough to be able to take a step forward and then gives me even more to take another step forward and it's it's all his grace that does that, but I'm just like just being grateful for that space and knowing I may not love where I'm at right now, but I'm happy that I'm here and I'm happy that this isn't where it ends, like that I get to, you know, move on to the next step eventually. And just asking again, like, Lord, what do I need to see in this season? How do I grow here? Mm-hmm. Beautiful.
0: So, well said, man. Uh, we're going to put all your links in the description. Everything, yeah. Your yeah. Instagram, everything. You're going to check them out. Um, we'll put it all below, man. Uh, Christian Walk, uh, just want to hear your testimony, but I want to ask you this. You said you kind of led music there for a while and all that. You were younger. Yeah. So I see a lot of 19, 20-year-olds that are youth pastors now. There's a lot of people that say that's that's a little too young. You don't have enough life experience. What are you going to teach younger people and yeah. all that? What's your thoughts? Uh, and two, there haven't been a seminary and all that. What's, What's your thoughts on uh, people being 19, 20, 21, leading a bunch of people? Uh, do you think that's too young? What do you think?
1: Um. I would say it's too young, except every time that's an excuse, I think of Paul writing to Timothy and saying, don't let them look down on you because you're a youth. And so I think the the trade-off has to be, you know, if you're young and you're not in seminary, you need to have some kind of pastoral counseling around you at all times, some kind of discipleship that you've been in for years, Mm -hmm. um, an accountability group. Like I've just known and witnessed too many brothers in ministry fall hard and yeah. cause a lot of destruction for the church they were in or the, just the Christian community as a whole. And so I think if you're a 19, 20, 21 year old, I know for me, it's like, it, I probably wouldn't have trusted the 19 year old Josh to, to do the things that he was doing in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it's one of those things where if you can't show me, the people you're surrounding yourself with, and I can't be like, man, I trust these guys, and like they seem to trust him pretty well. Then it's it's probably not a safe bet. And I think the struggle is we want charisma over character in the modern church, yeah where it's like, hey, you look good and you sound good, and like you're attractive, so maybe that'll attract people. That's right. Rather than like, you know, I think of you know, my, I mean, my youth pastor Michael Bozeman. Mm-hmm. Dude, like he the most unassuming like he's kind of kind of a jerk on purpose, like in a funny way, yeah, but he he messes with you, he's not like a hipster, like he had one of the most successful youth groups in Gadsden at the time, yeah um and genuine it's, genuine, and it's mm-hmm. because he was also when it wasn't Wednesday nights or Sundays, every day of the week he was mentoring people in his youth group, um and so you know it's one of those things of like. That may not look as pretty on the surface. And Bozeman, if you watch this, I love you and I think you're beautiful. But that may not look as attractive on your website pictures to have this, you know, typical Gadsden, Alabama guy on your picture rather than a, you know, California surfer dude, but like Yeah. At the end of the day, if the goal is an eternal perspective and mindset, then it has to be deeper than someone that can give a good sermon. It has to be someone that is capable to shepherd in love and walk through life with these young people and if you're 19 and you can do that and you're not a heretic by all means like do it but
0: yeah big thing i took from that character over charisma yeah uh, for sure you know i think uh we're, we're just in that age where it's the look man it's, it's and i grew up southern baptist i guess you did too right big time it's, yeah. it's the look it's like, oh, we got it all together. You know, everything look, looks right and all that. I've gotten away from that because yeah. I, I don't care what it looks like. You know, yeah. what is the root here? What is the deeper, uh, you know, root here and, uh, versus just what it looks like? That's a big deal. Just want to throw that in there. So your testimony, Christian faith, I've talked about mine a lot. I grew up in a Christian household, uh, saved when I was eight. Uh, from there, you know, uh, learned, grew, all that. So kind of talk about your testimony and your Christian walk.
1: Yeah, man. I, I mean, grew up in a Christian household, was saved, I, and I still firmly believe, um, saved and baptized at four. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so did that whole thing. Um, in 10th grade, I started to, I say, try and wander away from the light of jesus and like just walking in in that path and it was amazing to watch um you know guys like lojo were like you know they were they were the ones calling me an idiot um because they knew like there's just something about what i was doing that didn't fit with who i was sure but i wanted to do it because i needed to feel like i had done it but i just remember every time something crazy would happen and i would go and act like an idiot in high school and do things i wasn't supposed to be doing. Um, it was like, I couldn't take where, where the people around me could go a mile. I'd get about a quarter of a mile into it. And it was like a freaking helicopter would just shine the light on me and like yeah. call me out. And it, I couldn't get away with anything. And so I just always ran into that. of like, how do these people get, keep getting away with doing X, Y, and Z. And I can't even like sample this, this thing without getting caught by somebody in my life i just remember hearing um someone talk about the story of joseph and it was like man joseph's brothers are all sitting around the table they've sold him into slavery uh it's been years now and the fact that they grew up with him for all those years before they sold him into slavery it it like it took him saying at this dinner table years later guys it's me joseph and they're like of course, it's you. Like, duh, that makes sense. But until he said that, it was like he feels familiar. We're like we spent so many years around him, but we still can't recognize him. And that's how it felt with like my walk with the Lord was like I'd been around him. I knew that he called me to something bigger than what I was operating in that that year or that season of life. Uh, but it took him one night, literally just being like it was like a kick off my high horse. Like, hey, man, I'm Jesus. Mm -hmm. I've called you to do things that are not this and you're not doing it. So like get your crap together. I'm Jesus. You're not, I'm Jesus. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. You are Jesus. And that immediately just called to like, caused me to just come to a place where I was like, man, yeah, like this is way more significant than any of the other things I was chasing after. And so
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I think I was 18 at that point. Um, and started started the band thing after that um did the church stuff and i would say you know uh it's the hot topic still i feel like which is incredible but um went through the whole calvinistic reform theology thing and moved to nashville and i found myself kind
0: of briefly describe that yeah so i
1: mean coming to a place where and i feel like it's heavier in the southern baptist church for some reason now but like uh and I don't disagree with it. Like that's my thing. It's so it's a viewpoint of the gospel versus it's one that says God predestines, He elects, um, He you know there's a, a chosen people that He calls before, like before the moment that they're they're called or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's opposing the other viewpoint of we choose, we decide, like we. Jesus knocks on our heart and we say yes or we say no. And so what that Reformed theology did for me, which was I still count it as a blessing, it didn't make me arrogant, which is what it does to a lot of friends that I have. Sure, um, And they, I think they call it the cage stage of Reformed theology of like when you first hear the gospel of grace and it's Reformed, you're like, you want to go tell everybody about it. It didn't make me arrogant to think I'm the chosen, I'm pre-elect it broke me like it tore me down to think who who am i that god would choose me and not these other people Mm -hmm. and who am i also to say that he hasn't chosen those other people and like so growing through that leaving alabama and going into nashville i met a lot of people that were hurt from that that world um and it shifted my belief system not to the point of God is not God and Jesus is not the son of God. But I came to a place where I was like, what does that matter? Reformed, non-reformed Baptist Methodist, like what does any of that matter? And I remember hearing, um, we were going through a study in until unity by Francis Chan, which the reformed community has whatever they want to say about Francis Chan. But I'm like, Hey, the dude's still doing what he's, what he's done for years and still making disciples and planting churches all throughout the world.
2: Mm-hmm. um,
1: he talks about this passage in Isaiah 55 where it says, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and your ways are better than ours. So he's like, if we think of God's thoughts as up here, and God's ways as up here, then we're like way down here. So what makes someone closer to God? Is it, if we're looking at a graph, a, 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 just a line chart, is it, hey, I'm, I'm more scripturally sound, or I'm, I'm more Bible-oriented? or is it man i'm closer to the spirit like i listen to him more i have more of that that about my faith like and then when it's in the grand scheme of comparison to god's ways what does any of that matter other than the fact that we're all chasing after jesus and right. so we've created these wars and these feuds with each other to say oh it's spirit or it's truth and jesus says no it's spirit and truth like it's both of those things you're not right you're not right you're not wrong you're not wrong it's just kind of a Coming together thing. And so I just realized like moving to Nashville, um, I don't ever want to assume that I know someone's situation before I sit down and hear their situation and their circumstance. I'm never going to preach a sermon to them in a generalized point of view until I've asked them, What have you gone through? Um, the last thing you want to hear about is a dogmatic father figure. If you've had a Abusive father. That's right. um The last thing that you want to, you know, serve is a male godhead that tells you to surrender and submit. If like you had an abusive husband, like there's just so many things that mm-hmm. we don't think about because we grew up in Alabama in the Southern Baptist Church, and it's like sure, none and that of, stuff happens, and that just, stuff happens. just not talked about. That. Exactly, like, yeah, it's just not yeah. brought to light, right? And we don't ever consider the perspective that people have. And I'm not saying that like we should call God a she or a they or like, God is God. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I'm not saying we take the other that like, just go that other route. But I am saying, I think there's a space again for listening more and saying less and trusting that like, if I really love people unconditionally, I'm going to love them because I love them. And I'm going to tell them about Jesus because I love them, but I'm not going to tell them about Jesus and that be it. Like, and I'm not going to love them until they say yes to Jesus and then abandon them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or when they say they're not going to, be like, no, I'm not. This is a dead-end relationship. So I just think my my faith has grown immensely since moving to Nashville because it did get me out of this pocket of people who look a certain way on the outside and then behave a different way. And I remember a friend of mine moved to California, and somebody— told him like, oh, you better be careful. You know, that town is the devil's town. Mm. And he said, and I feel like I can say this because I've lived in the Gadsden community and I was a part of this community in this way. He said, uh, you know, I think the devil's town probably looks a whole lot more like Gadsden mm. where we act like we've got it together. Yeah. And we're really broken. That's right. But we refuse to admit it.
0: That's right. And that's the key is everybody's broken. We all are. We're all struggling. But it's that persona. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to keep this image. I'm going to put off this persona. And to me, that's the Southern Baptist way. Yeah. I go to a Baptist church now. I mean, it is what it is. But I don't like that fact about churches and everything else. We got the dog on the table. (laughs) Come on, buddy. (laughs) But I don't like that fact about churches and everything else that, you know, we're all broken, you know, and we'll say that. But then when it comes to vulnerability, everybody's like, no, we're good. You know, everybody's Everybody's good. No, we're all not good, you know it's, it's it's a real thing uh thank you for sharing all that man yeah man uh staying staying strong today we've got a lot of a lot of things at play temptation, depression, all that uh how do we stay strong
1: uh you have to have people around you that hold your arms up, um you know like with temptation, you have to fortify that wall, whether or not it's Tempting you right now, you have to know that it's coming, and you have to have the things in place to be able to have a battle plan. Like I think that's just been the the biggest thing I've learned is if I act like it's not going to happen and I don't prepare for it, then it's going to hit me when I least expect it, and I'm not going to be prepared for it. And
0: flee, you and, know. The Bible says flee from. It. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. sit around and flirt with it for a while, bad things are probably going to happen. You know, and, yep. and uh, people say that stuff sneaks up on you and all that, and I think it can. But I think a lot of times it's your responsibility. Like you said, put those safeguards in place. Get away from it.
1: I think the statistics show too. If you don't kill that thought within seven seconds, you're going to act on it. Mm. Um, I think that was uh, yeah, it was again one of John Piper' his battle strategies against temptation is this idea and this concept of when it says take your thoughts captive. If you don't take that thought captive within seven seconds, the thought owns you. Mm -hmm. If you don't think that thing and then go no you're not that's not that's not going to happen but you just kind of sit with it and think about it for another you know six seven seconds it's like well then you're going to move on the next it's a rabbit
0: hole yeah that's right so so what do you do thought stop what do you usually do in those situations so
1: for me it's having um you know obviously they've got so many practical apps and things that you can put on your phones and devices covenant eyes has been huge for me in my fight against that like the the pornographic temptation. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also just rather than sitting with that thought, it's having scriptures ready to go. Um, and then also knowing like, hey, if I, you know, one of my one of my mentors is my favorite people, he he was one of the most genuine guys I'd ever met that talked about this stuff. And I remember him saying something like, Man, looked at I looked at that girl too long, like, and I called my wife and I apologized. And it was like he didn't, like, in in just a regular day-to-day thing, he's like, you looked at a girl for too long? Yeah. But he knew immediately, I know what I was doing in my heart. And he mm. called his wife and was like, hey, I'm so sorry. So for me, it's having guys like that that are like, hey, I know I I screwed up here. Um, The last thing that I need right now is shame, because that's what I feel. What I need is, like, grace and encouragement to remind me that Jesus died because I'm not going to beat that every time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to conquer that on my own. And so it's you know having verses both for while you're fighting it, to also having verses for the moments where you might stumble or you might screw up. Of hey, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just being prepared for hey, I'm not saying that sinning is is okay, but I am saying that if I expect perfection, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm missing the whole point of Jesus in the first place. Right. And so it's fighting to get to the next place. And I always think of that illustration that Matt Chandler uses of, or, sorry, not Matt Chandler, Mike he uses of, um, man, if we're a baby and we're a parent and our, our baby is walking, it takes two steps and then he falls. We don't sit there and go, you idiot. How dare you fall? Like you took two steps. What a punk!" Mm-hmm. It's like, we take two steps and we celebrate that. And then the next time we, want three steps and the next time we want four until we're walking and so i think it's just understanding it's not a one-time deal of like hey i'm gonna say no to this one time and it's done forever it's uh i have to live with this battle and it's with anything any addiction any, it's a muscle you gotta yeah, work it, gotta yeah. Build it up, yeah and it's like you know i can be over this for 15 years yep and all it takes is one time of me not holding that thought captive One time of me not being in active community with guys that can, that are also dealing with this and saying like, Hey man, you got this and I know you've got this because you've told me that I had it and I did have it. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's such a a communal battle. And so, um,
0: well, battles are one in preparation, yeah, you know, like you said, and two, I I think a lot of young Christian people, they have this misunderstanding. I know I did like in my late teens, early twenties, I felt terrible For being a human. Yeah. Right. You know, not that I was acting on anything, but the feelings of being a human being. Yep. I think in in the Southern Baptist Church, I've roasted Southern Baptist on this thing like so many episodes, (laughs) seriously, but you're told you have to be perfect. And if you don't, you're wrong and you're shamed for it. You know, I I don't think that's the Christian way. Mm -mm. We're all humans and we all suffer. We have to work together, be vulnerable with other men, you know, and people and all that and work through things. And I think that's the right way to do it.
1: I remember reading, um... It was a book called um, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortlund. One of the most amazing books I've ever read, but I remember reading it and he's talking about in, um, I believe it's in John where Jesus says, and I will in no wise cast them out. And he breaks down that language because obviously that's not modern language for us, but he's saying what Jesus is establishing there is anyone who's in him, he will not cast them out for any reason whatsoever. Like Mm -hmm. if they are in him. And he goes on to give this list of examples where he's explaining, like, so for all of you people that are maybe having these conversations with Jesus, maybe this is what you're saying is like, yeah, but but man, like, I've really screwed up this time. Or like, I pretty much hated you when I did this. Or I I wanted to be God in this situation. He's given all these examples of conversations we have with Jesus. And the last one he gives, I remember sitting in a coffee shop reading this book and just weeping because the argument is, yeah, but Jesus, you don't get it. I've only sinned against you. You're the person that I spat on by doing this thing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And Jesus' response is, then who better to forgive you than me? Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that and I was like, we don't understand. We're so set on being perfect and following the law. And Jesus is like, I didn't come for the put together people. I came for the sick. And if if you try and do this thing where you screw up, and you wait until you feel like you're good enough to come back to me, you've missed the point of the gospel altogether. Mm -hmm. What I want you to do is when you screw up to beg me to come and help you, because that's what I want to do. That's why I came in the first place was to help you knowing you would never be able to help yourself. And so it's like, if we can start getting a good grasp on grace, not cheap grace, but grace as a whole and knowing like sin is not what we want, but it's what we've, what we've chosen. Yeah. We, apart from Jesus, will sin. In the moments where we do sin as people that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we have a promised hope that because of what Jesus did, we're still presented in the sight of God as holy, faultless, and blameless before a holy God. And the only way we can do that is if we get rid of this idea that we can somehow clean ourselves up to get to a state where we can come back in his presence. It's like that's trusting yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you're going to screw up, and that's what Jesus is. Here to do is to forgive, to show mercy, and to call you into righteousness. And that's a gradual thing that's sanctification. But we have such a short-term idea of what sanctification looks like. It's right. like, you know, for how, how many years did you spend in college to to be able to be a doctor? Uh, eight, eight oh. years in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people spend twelve to fifteen. Like it's it's a long process. Mm-hmm. But then we so we expect someone that can operate on us and make us better health-wise, to at least go to college for eight years. But then we expect Jesus to change us from sinner to saint in two years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, that doesn't make sense. That's a good point. Yeah, like, you're not, We it takes us eight years to be a doctor. How long do you think it's going to take? It's an eternal thing. Like, mm. the day that you leave this earth is the only time where you're perfect. So until then, you're just striving and hoping that, like, Man, I'm like I'm trusting in Jesus today because otherwise I'm hopeless. And mm-hmm. so I think it's just knowing that it's an eternal fight, knowing that everything is for eternity and it's not just a day to, like, hey, I screwed up today. It means I'm I'm messed up for the rest of my life. It's do you knowing. believe
0: uh once saved, always saved? I do. You do. I believe
1: once I saved, always saved. Yeah, I too.
0: I think it's um
1: again, it's trusting in Jesus and knowing like if I'm trusting Jesus, there's things that look different about me initially. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm trusting in a cheap off-brand version of Jesus,
0: then... Great value. Yeah, they the great value <laughs> Jesus.
1: I would say anything that calls me to be a better version of me, solely me as a person, like the best version of myself, is contrary to me being like, like the better man. We want to be better men because God's called us to that.
2: That's
0: right.
1: If I want to be the best version of Josh, just to be the best version of Josh, that's hopeless and that's a damning gospel. Mm -hmm. If I want to like put Josh to death so that the Josh that God has created me to be can come into light, like that's a different story. But anything that is self-glorifying or at the end of the day, you're you win the big prize, our prize is the presence of Jesus and not being like an eternity spent with him. That's our prize. Jesus if we're following him, will always call us to deny self. If I'm following off brand Jesus, then all of a sudden his gospel makes it really easy for the things that I want that serve me to like be okay. And I can justify it. Mm-hmm. But the real Jesus would say, no, no, no. I want your joy to be abundant and I want you to not be a slave to sin anymore. I want you to be a slave to righteousness. Um, so I just think being able to tell the difference of the two is like, if I'm, if I'm saved, but it's to an off brand Jesus then I I didn't ever have. I didn't know Jesus. That's a good point. Because Jesus wants me to change, but it's knowing him on a deep and intimate level. You can't help but change because you see this, this God, this deity who came down and loved us enough to, you know, I always think of uh, when Jesus is going to Lazarus's tomb. All the people are pissed off at Jesus because he didn't get there in time. Mm -hmm. And he's God like Jesus is God. So he knows what he's about to do. Right. He sees his people crying. And rather than saying, No, 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 you don't have to cry. Like, I'm about to go fix this. He cries with them, knowing he's right, knowing he's about to do what he came to do anyway, knowing that there's no reason for them to cry because he's about to fulfill what he was going to do. He cries with them because he sees his people broken and hurt. And that's the sensitivity of God that will cry with his people, even though, like, he knows what he's doing is about to fix the problem, right? he still empathizes with us to the point of weeping with us because we don't see the big picture and because we can't fully trust him to be who he actually is. And so I'm like, if you meet a Jesus like that, like if when you meet Jesus and you realize that he's that tenderhearted towards us, you don't want to let that guy down. Like you, you mm-hmm. want to serve him. You want to tell people about him. I
0: think that's just understanding the whole concept. You hear it, you know, we grew up hearing it like Jesus died for you. you, And you kind of got, just think about that for a minute, like how powerful that really is. Uh, And I think if you do, it is life changing, but I think we kind of have the negative effect of we grew up with it. So you hear it time and time and it kind of almost loses effect. Yep. But, uh, Randy Gunner, Mm -hmm. Meadowbrook, I watched it this morning. Um, he said that this morning, you know, um, you need a lot of people like when they hear the Christian or the uh, the Christmas story, that kind of kind of gets less and less impactful, and that shouldn't be. Every time you hear it, think deeply about how impactful and how you were saved and all that uh, from a perfect person. So it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, people in the church that hurt you know a lot of people that are like I'm not stepping good Christian. I feel like Christian people. Yeah, like, I'm not going back to church. I'm not doing it. That this person did this, they did all that. And I always say, of course, it's not the person that hurts you, or it's it's not God that hurts you; it's the person, person. right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, how do you deal with it, um, dude? I'm, I mean,
1: are you asking how I deal with that person, or how do you deal with people that? Yeah, just in
0: general, you know, conflict within the church, because I think that's a pretty common thing that a lot of people go through. Yeah, they're in a church for years, and then somebody does something they don't like, and they're like, "Well, I just won't go." Yeah, you know. Uh, what would you say to that person if they came to you or like, I'm struggling with this. Somebody hurt me in the church. What should I do?
1: I would say, don't be a coward. Talk to them. Yeah. They're not perfect. If they still don't respond in a, in a response of like understanding and maybe apologizing, or what you'll do is you'll hear their perspective and you will realize like, Oh, they didn't even mean it that way. Like I, I took, I mistook that. And I, put whatever insecurities that I'm feeling on them and projected that onto them. But the last thing that people do is just go to the source. Yeah. And so we'll sit in our Bible study groups and our Sunday school groups, and we'll talk about this person that hurt us or, you know, in Nashville deconstruction's a big deal and everybody wants to dog the church and, yeah. you know, not go back because somebody hurt them. I'm like, you, you still go back home for the holidays. Like, your family hurt you. Like, there's, I've never met anybody whose family members had not hurt them one way, like, in one way or another. Yeah. And usually, sometimes it's, like, on a grander scale of, like, you know, bad sexual misconduct Abuse stuff. It, right? Yeah. Usually, it's pretty petty stuff. Sure. Of, you know, so-and-so didn't come to this event that I put on. Or, like, and sometimes it's heavier things. But even still, it's like, we'll go talk to him about it. Don't just stop going somewhere because they did that. And the reality of it is they're not going because they don't want to go that like at the end of the day, if I want to go do something, I'm going to go do that thing because I want to, I'm not going to go back to church because I'm not going to go back to church because I don't want to go. And then I'm going to look for a reason why I can tell people that I don't go back to church.
0: That's a good point.
1: Yeah. So if you want to do something, you're going to do it. And if you don't, if I don't feel like, I want to go to the gym. I'm going to find a reason that I don't want to go to the gym. And then I'm going to say that was the reason why.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I do that a lot, which is why I'm not in shape. Like, Got you. <laughs> so, you know, the same thing with the church. If you don't want to go to church, just say you don't want to go to church, but unless you actually had a scenario where you were hurt and you sat down with that person and you fought for reconciliation, don't just say it's because somebody hurt you, the church, because you're hurting the church by doing that because you haven't done anything on your end. Like, how can i know i hurt you if you never told me but i think
0: reconciliation is very uncommon yeah a lot of people because like you said people it's face to face is not common it's uncomfortable you know you can't just talk to people anymore hide behind screens and all that uh but i think that's the root of the root of the issue you know if you go to a person and say hey you hurt most people i would say are going to sit there and talk to you about it come here buddy if you're on the audio podcast, my dog keeps jumping on the table. But uh, most people won't sit there and go talk to people and say, hey, you hurt me. There's something I want to work through with you. If you did that, I would say most people would sit there and be like, yeah, most people would probably shocked. Yeah. It's so uncommon now. But if you just talk to them and say, hey, you hurt me. There's something I want to work through with you. They'll sit there and talk to you about it.
1: Yeah. I, I forget who said it, but I heard this the other day and it rocked my world. He said, we've chosen. We've chosen to be polite, even if it's lying through our teeth over being truthful and being truthful you don't have to be a jerk about it Mm -hmm. but if i'm at a restaurant and the food that comes out is trash does it help the restaurant for me to say no it's great and then it not be good and then the next person that comes in gets a bad meal or does it help the restaurant be like hey you guys are doing a great job this food is just like a little bit under like undercooked whatever the problem is truth and honesty helps both parties but Southern culture for whatever reason has chosen to say, no, you don't want to insult anybody or you don't want to you don't want to make conflict. You want to be a peacekeeper.
0: I think that kind of arose because people just don't want to deal with it. Exactly. They don't want to deal with problems. It passes. Uh, this book up here behind me, No More Christian Nice Guy. Mm. I don't know if you've ever read that one. I haven't one. read that one. But it's that's it in a nutshell. You know, Jesus didn't come here and was nice. He came and was true. Yeah. And was truth and did what needed to be done. And I think in life there's a time for niceness, you know, and of course be polite and all that. But let's stand for truth. Let's do the right thing uh, and make things proper and all that. I think that's a great great thing to do. And
1: normalize confrontation.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be confrontation. You know, like just just truth. Yeah, like conflict resolution. Right. Yes. Yes. uh,
1: My pastor talks about it all the time. Jesus calls us. Our human nature says run or fight, fight or flight. Yeah. Jesus says resolve. So we don't get to run away from it. We don't get to combat them on it. We get to sit in the tension and figure out, okay, where I did something wrong, where you did something wrong, and then we come together and resolve it. And that takes patience and humility and all the things that we hate to do as human beings. That's right. But that's what we're called to. And so it's like, be okay with bringing up something that might ruffle some feathers with this person, because it's going to be weird and awkward. Yeah. But what's more awkward is you disappearing or closing off yourself from a relationship of however many years you've had it and never telling that person why, but the whole time explaining how they were the evil villain that caused you to never go back to church or do whatever. If you if you would have just sat in conflict resolution, you would have still had a relationship with that person. You could have still gone to church and felt okay, like being there. Um, yeah, it's just we've become way too passive like there's too many passivists in the passive yes yeah. that's,
0: that's the key yeah that's the word man and that's very common i think a lot of people just dog people and all that when there could have been an easy if you would have just talked to them yeah but it's easier it's easier to be passive not address something you know it's just less character there yeah just uh, let me just dog this person and then i'm gonna feel better come out right you know and all that it's it's a weird time but uh but i think you got to fight that i think that is the human condition uh to just kind of instead of diving into something going headfirst into a problem yeah you know but i think uh doing that it comes out a lot better for sure i agree uh females let's talk about females a little bit let's do it so talk about females uh i've been through a divorce talked about that on the podcast you can watch through if you want to hear about that but uh i wrote this down are soulmates real you know Mm. some people say there's one person for everybody Do you feel like there's one person for everybody?
1: I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think um, the person, the one person is the one person you choose to be the one person. That's right. Like the minute you say you're my person, that's your person. Uh, And it requires, and I don't know, I don't know the divorce situation with you. Mm -hmm. So I haven't, I haven't heard that side of things, but it requires work on both ends of the, like of the spectrum to say like, Hey, you're my person. Yeah. So. Be my, be my person and in a
0: nutshell uh it was kind of like an abandonment kind of thing yeah. had to do it kind of it wasn't really i had no choice kind of thing yeah so yeah that's really it
1: but i think you know like that is one party saying like i'm out you, yeah i'm out like mm-hmm. when somebody checks out
2: what do you do yeah well you can't really mm-hmm.
1: so i think yeah i think that um i also think it's it's uh a, a funny misunderstanding in the christian community that like you're required to be married mm-hmm. um now and god calls me, people to be single he calls Does them it, yeah. to be single um but there's just also this weird pressure that's put on us to graduate college or graduate find high school one. graduate yeah. college find, yeah. you get married young that's right dude i've seen too many people divorced yeah because they just got married to get married mm-hmm. and um you know one of my friends is a marriage counselor and like you know one of the things that they run into my mom's a psychologist like one of the things you just hear the most across the board is i thought this was going to change about them so the problem is everybody's way more willing to and i think it also comes to because divorce has gotten a little bit easier overall oh yeah where it's like oh that's not as big of a deal but like i'm sure that that, like that broke you probably like in the season that you were in oh yeah because that is a big deal and as a believer Mm. it's like man that's that's a covenant that just, like, dis- disappeared. Mm-hmm. And, you know, luckily, we have Jesus to rely back on, but, like, for the worldly perspective of it, it's like, ah, eh, it's just divorce. Like, she'll get half <laughs> of whatever I have, whatever, like, $300, I can get a divorce. But the issue is, like, these people just jump into these relationships because the person looks good, like. They, it feels good to be around them. Like it's nice to have them on social media, whatever it is. They don't want to be alone.
0: They like the idea of it. Yeah. More than actually liking maybe the person. It's like if
1: you can't be cool being alone, like just with yourself, Mm -hmm. you ain't going to be cool with another person. Like until you're confident in who you are and like you know yourself, you're not going to know who you can fight through life with like, well you i know would say that
0: you know to people that are late 20s early 30s we yeah. talked about yeah. you know me and kind of that's when you kind of peak in my opinion like yeah. you start to understand relationship now versus then you know i got in that relationship when i was 19 years old yeah. and got married when i was 24 uh totally different i yeah. understand myself so much exactly different and right all that. Uh, i understand kind of what i gravitate towards stuff that would bother me and all that i communicate better you know there's just so many more factors. I think people marrying young, I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But I think especially in the South, Southern Baptist and all that, other denominations as well, you are put this pressure like this is the way life is. Yeah. You graduate, you get that nice little job, you know, you get your wife and kids. But that's not everybody's journey. No. And mm. it's
1: almost made, I mean, you're almost made to feel like you're lacking until you get to that point. Right. Um. You know, like nothing against anyone who's ever said, I've never known love. Until I saw my firstborn child,
2: mm.
1: I would say that that's wrong. Like, I get what I get the sentiment behind. Yeah, it of, I've never known a love like I felt when I had my first child. I've never had a kid, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know what they're talking about with that. But what I do know is J- Jesus is love. So, mm-hmm. like, to any believer who doesn't ever get to experience having a child, like maybe they don't get married, or maybe they they're, they don't have the ability to have children, the language that we use that makes people that can't have that feel like they don't ever get to experience love, like they're missing out on a piece of love. It's like, no, 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 no. You can be single and know Jesus and experience every aspect of love that anybody else gets to experience because he's all of it.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. You may not get to experience a moment of like a specific kind of joy or happiness that comes with having a child, but you also don't have to experience the anger and like frustration of, the sad moments of having like, you know, like, yeah, there's pros and cons of both. And so I think well, it's, it's almost
0: that race. It's that race to do all these things, yeah. you know, and it's like, I'm not going to be fulfilled until I do this. Dr. Deloney, I post all his books, links in the description, all that too, all of his stuff. Um, they're in Nashville. Uh, oh, Ramsey. Oh, yeah, Ramsey. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Dr. yeah he Deloney. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he does the psychological standpoint of things. But he talks about that like when people get married, he does marriage counseling and all that. They're like, I thought it would feel different. Like I thought when I got married, I would be complete. I would have this because we all have like, does like I have to do that? I have this desire to, and you know, I'm going to be complete when I get married. And when they don't feel that it's almost like it freaks them out. It's yeah. like, well, then they're going to, you know, and that's where all the problems come in and all that, uh, people don't complete you. I think we crave and that craving is for God, the father. I feel like that's what to complete us and yeah. all that, but it's not in another person. Um, but that was a little side tangent there.
1: No, yeah. And I think, too, like, we, you know, the minute that we realize, oh, wait, this didn't complete me, then we start projecting all of the reasons that were not complete to that person when they don't even know about it. Yep. Like, you're you're putting expectations on this person that they're not even aware they that they're in. Mm-hmm. So, they're just functioning and operating through life on a normal day-to-day, and you're mad at them, and you're bitter, and, like, you don't, like, they don't know why, and they're just having to live with it because... You these unmet expectations that were never expressed to them, they're living under the pressure of that, and so it's like if you like yeah, if you are hoping that they make you happy a hundred percent of the time, right, or like what do you do when they start getting ugly? if you're not content in like the companionship and the friendship and the things that are not like aesthetic or like sexual, mm. what do you do when that person? stops looking as good as they start like if you don't love their personality at that point you're in trouble Mm
2: -hmm. if they're
1: not your best friend you're in trouble and so i'm like i think there's wisdom in not just making a lifelong commitment to do it for the sake of status or definitely not because you feel like you're missing out on something in the kingdom of god like you're not a second-rate citizen of heaven because you didn't get married
0: right um well when you stand before god you're standing alone. Yeah. Yeah, there ain't nobody beside you. No. You know, you're standing alone. So
2: And
1: I think Francis Chan again, he puts it perfectly in his his book on marriage of uh he he just his job as as a husband and as a father is to prepare his wife and his children for eternity. Mm. So everything that he does, he's doing from the perspective of I want her to be ready for eternity in Jesus's presence. I want my kids to not feel awkward and not know what to do in the presence of the Almighty God for all of eternity. I want everything we do on this earth to prepare us for what that's going to be because this is just a vapor. And so well I'm like, said. yeah, I'm just like, dude, that's beautiful. And if that's what you're in, like that's the season you choose, go for it. But if you also choose to be single, I know guys that are single that can go across the world in like a minute's notice because. They don't have to rely on anybody else. They can give way more money because they're not feeding other people's mouths. Like there's benefits to both sides of it. And just recognizing what gift you've been given, whether it's singleness or whether it's marriage or whatever. Um, and then giving back according to that gift that you've been given.
0: Mm -hmm. Going back to the original question, I think soulmates are not real. Yeah. I I grew up watching Disney. So when I I grew up, I was like, Oh, there's going to be the one and all that. Uh, I think the person for you is who two people that choose each other. Yeah. I think that's it. I agree. Um, and, and and that's just it. I think soulmates is kind of a fairy tale. That's my uh, experience on that. Um, how do you choose a partner? You know, you're in a uh, time of singleness. I have a amazing girlfriend over a year now. We've been together. Um, have an amazing relationship, grown and all that. And I feel like I chose well. How do you choose a female to be with as a Christian man?
1: Man, I honestly am looking for someone who is um, okay not being in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's one of the most attractive things is someone who's not searching. Like Mm -hmm. They are, again, content in who they are. So
0: no dating apps. No
1: dating apps. No, that that (laughs) crap weirds me out, man.
0: I also feel, yeah, I just always
1: feel weird about looking at someone who is made in the image of God and swiping one way or the other. Yeah.
0: It's judgment. Yeah, it, <laughs> it feels weird. weird to me. And, and you I, don't know them. Like, and it's probably and it too could, because I'm could, the guy that gets swiped the other way on. Yeah, so I'm like, I don't want well, people can, to think of that like Well, you can me. see him and talk to him and be like, man, like, looks at it and everything. Exactly You know, right. it's very vain and yeah. all that. Yeah.
1: Um. So for me, I think that's, you know, that's my main thing. And then, I mean, the, the most important thing is that they believe in the Lord, that they have strong relationship with him. um, But the, yeah, they're content. And if it was just them and him, great and then my thing is i'm not searching for marriage like that's not a milestone that i require in Mm -hmm. life but if i meet someone who i'm like man like doing life with that person would be awesome and i feel like we would we'd be able to accomplish a whole lot of the things then it's worth it's worth the journey to just see
0: um i forgot who said it you know um a guy he said you know marriage is meant to glorify god yeah you know marriage like people go through seasons of marriage I know people, years, they'll go years kind of not liking each other all that much, you know what I mean? Uh, Marriage isn't for you. Yeah. You know, marriage is to glorify God through marriage and all that. Uh, You make a covenant and all that. Now, abuse and all that, you know, obviously there's no excuse for any of that. Mm -hmm. There's grounds for divorce and all that. But but I think having that perspective, you know, people are like, uh, I don't like my spouse during this season or whatever. Uh, Everybody's going to have conflict. It's just part of it. Well,
1: I think, too, like knowing... Knowing the truth of the like, we love to quote the passage that tells us that you know tells wives to submit to their husbands. That's right. We don't love the part that tells men to love their wives like
0: Christ loved the church. You got one passage yeah. saying wives, and then you got a whole section of what men are supposed to that's do for it. a woman. That's right. And
1: men, we crave respect. Yeah, that's all we want is to be respected. Mm-hmm. The issue is we do nothing to earn the respect that we're wanting. That's a good point. So if we are lazy if we are passive, if we are like all the things that are not what the way that Christ loved the church, like if we're not going to fight with our wife on things, not against her, but like to fight any conflict and resolve it for the sake of loving her. If we're not putting everything about her above everything about us, if we're not like dying to ourselves for the sake of building our wife up, like those things suck. Mm-hmm. that's a heavy toll it like is. on anybody, but that's what we've been called to do. And the wives submitting to the husband, it's really hard to not want to submit to somebody who you see laying their life down for you every day. It's really hard not to respect somebody who you see like in strong relationship with God, loving you in a way that like he's designed it. Like the respect is just kind of a natural thing almost, unless it's like, you know, she doesn't recognize the Lord. And yeah. Like in those, moments. well,
0: that's what I was going to say, like relationship for you. It, it, Christianity is kind of a big deal. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, a deal breaker for me for sure. Too. Yeah.
1: Because what are you going to lead them to? Right. If you're not leading them to the glory of Jesus, it's going to be a pretty stagnant thing. Like you can have fun and like you can be married 60 years and have lots of fun memories, but you have only ever led them to happiness. And that is so temporary. And so unfulfilling in the end mm-hmm. that you've never led them to anything eternal or long lasting and bigger than themselves. And I, I'm like, well, that sounds pretty like that's just kind of dark and depressing.
0: Isn't yeah. Think? Yeah. I was never
1: going for anything bigger than me.
0: Well, women, too, you know, they have to have something to respect. Yeah. Like you said, you know, uh, people and I, I've always said this, uh, a man that has to yell at a woman respect me, uh, you don't really deserve that. No. You know, if you're leading the proper way. If you're doing what you need to do as a man, uh, that, that should follow. Now, if you are, and it doesn't, you know, either it needs to, you know, in uh, resolve the relationship or whatever you want to do,
2: yeah,
0: or the conversation needs to happen. Uh, but that's always been my thing, man. Uh, women follow. I mean, to me, that's just how it is. And if you're doing everything right, they'll they will, yeah. they, and they will enjoy it. You I know, agree. they will yeah. want to do that. Um, so cool, man. We talked uh, a lot of stuff. We're about to wrap up. When? We hour 30. This is an awesome one, man. So I end with this 5, 10, 20-year plan. Yeah. Uh, we'll start with five years from now. You're still in Nashville. Mm-hmm. What do you see five years from now you'll be how old? Five years, I'll be 34. 34 years old. 34, yeah. what's life looking like for you?
1: Man, 34, I hope to have the business that I'm doing right now be one that has got two or three staff members where I'm not having to be hands on with everything. And you're talking about the videography. The videography yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's an arbitrary thing and and not not a spiritual thing at all, but I would love to be making six figures of income annually at 34 years old mm-hmm. because these systems that I've developed, I'm like, man, like everything that I make is more opportunity for me to give back. And so I'm like, if all I ever do is come up like scheme and come up with ways to make more money, I can give so much of that away because I know for me, I've got a number in like my life that I know I can live very comfortably on and it's not a lot of money. And I figured that out because of trial and error where it's like I've had a season of plenty and I've had a season of nothing. Mm -hmm. And I know the number that is required for me to like live comfortably is really low compared to like what I could make doing the things that I'm doing right now. Sure. And so that's my goal is to be able to, to make more money, to give that away and help more friends in ministry, help my dad with his dream center. Um, you know, if they weren't already about to pay their house off, my dreams always been to pay off the mortgage for my parents' house. But, yeah. But you know, my twenties, I spent a little bit too long experimenting, I
2: guess. Yeah. And figuring out. <laughs> hey, you can be more creative. There's always stuff you
0: can do, man. Yeah. There's so. stuff. Something I want to say, Dave Ramsey says it often. Uh, nobody's ever gotten poor being generous. Yeah you know uh god calls us to that to be generous and all that that's a beautiful way that you said that man uh you're gonna do big things 10 years from now 39 years old where are you gonna be at what do you think 39
1: i don't know if you listen to gary Vaynerchuk at all
0: yeah um had a guy in here that does a buy and sell business kind of thing really yeah Yeah. episode 14 i think it is yeah
1: so yeah 39 i would love to um because of the work that i do retirement stuff is like i'm i am my retirement i don't have a company that that's pays right my 401k yeah um by 39 i would love to be still i'm hoping to do this this year i signed up for a spartan race when i turn 30 in january i'm doing it in october okay my goal is to be become like in the best physical shape i've ever been in so that 30 is like not a daunting year but it's like i'm in my prime mm-hmm. by 39 i want to be in that like actually the best shape of my life before i hit 40 sweet um and then i want to um have some kind of tangible evidence of like hey in like 10 15 years retirement is actually a thing
2: it's an option yeah it's an option
1: like it's something that i've set aside um yeah and i would say you know by that point i would love to just be the guy that's putting out fires in whatever business i'm doing um Hopefully, maybe the the song stuff is taken off by them, but I really think that the song. but now fires
0: you mean like bringing the heat? Like no, like <laughs> like you know if I'm I'm not having to do anything with
1: the hands on things at all. Gotcha. And I'm able to sit in the office and just be kind of the, I mean the person that connects all the dots, and that's all I have to do is sure. the relational side, and you know not have to handle all the the hands on work. But sure. Um, I, I think, think you'll still be bringing me, the heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll a little bit. Yeah, so. Yeah, basically, gradually going from hands-on guy. It's like the rich dad, poor dad mentality yeah. of creating more passive income opportunities. To where I'm, a good book. I'm still doing work. It is a great book. Still doing work, but the things that I'm working towards and the effort that I'm putting in are for things that are not I'm, I'm not a commodity anymore like i'm not kind of going to automate yeah and exactly just right. sit
0: back and kind of manage more than which i think actively. music is
1: like the long time thing of that like i think yeah. music is something which you know you see paul simon and uh, bob dylan cashing out their catalogs in their 60s 70s and i think that's like theirs is the extreme version of that mine will never touch what their catalogs are going to touch mm-hmm. uh, maybe i don't know uh, maybe, maybe, maybe yeah maybe. Maybe that'd be a, a miracle but um you know thinking of that music stuff long term like okay that's probably going to be like that could be a good retirement option too is just having a catalog of songs that builds up over mm-hmm. time and
0: awesome man. so 20 years from now uh 49. 49 49 years old dude Woo. well dream a little what you thinking
1: man i don't even know if i've thought that far into the future 49
0: retirement then will kind of be somewhat close i guess you yeah. so kind of looking at
1: yeah um I, you know, I just, I think creatively, I would love to be able to be a part of something that, um, trains and disciples creatives in some way or another. Um, and I would love for whether it's songwriting, whether it's video or whatever, I would love to be a part of, and I have a friend in Nashville who's like, that's his dream is to build this center in Montana where you have all these phenomenal artists in all different areas of art that are training young people in how to do it. But it's also like a discipleship opportunity. Is he from like, Montana? No, he's from Tennessee. Originally. Oh, well, he actually might be, he's not from Montana, but he's done a lot of stuff in Montana. recently. Okay. He's like, I love yeah, that's that. That's kind of random. Yeah. 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 It's just like, yeah, the mountains and that whole, mm. that whole scene. But, sure. um, so yeah, towards that part of life, I would love to start transitioning more into, um, the Yoda role of, you know, I want to be the guide here and I can put to rest any kind of, um, strife that I've been having to like try and be the hero of whatever my story is. And I can just sit back and take what I've learned at this point. I'll have some gray hairs, like of wisdom to, to show off and then give that back to the 19, 20 year old that is coming up and wanting to do something that I've already done yeah and to just help out and that may not be something as extravagant as being at an art center that could be me sitting in a high school classroom you know like sharing something you know you just never know so
0: you know i've always seen that like uh people in their 50s 60s even they'll go substitute teach and i'm like like when i was younger i was like don't you have something better to do? but as i've gotten older i'm like that's pretty actually just chill yeah like you're happy with life you yeah. just want to feel time you know just do something that's it and be productive so uh so speaking of yoda if you have a student uh and they come to you and they'll say uh i, I can't do this and you can say do or do not there is no, no try. try. <laughs> Throw the line. I think we're going to end with that. Well, guys, that is pretty much it. Thank you for watching this episode of the podcast, The Better Man with Dr. Jared Nelson. We are on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. You're going to get every single one of my videos, shorts, clips. We got them coming out all throughout the week on my channel. Get them sent directly to you. We're on every single audio podcast platform, wow. Spotify, Amazon Music, apple podcast give us that five star rating because we give five star service thanks for watching until the next one (laughs) peace